Good morning. So I hear that there is some rejoicing and some gladness going on this morning. What I just heard. I hope that's you. Glad that you're here this morning. We welcome you here this morning. Um, Bert announced it. Got the handout in your bulletin. Last week I preached a sermon on kind of a renewed emphasis on our small group ministry here at Bay Area. Um, again, 10 o'clock this morning during the regular class time, where the adults at least are going to be meeting in here. I know the, the banner out there says the Family Life Center, but I think all of the adult classes are going to be meeting in here as we get a chance to talk about and share some information and get some input about this small group uh, emphasis for this coming year and beyond. And maybe you don't usually stay for the 10 o'clock hour. You haven't quite found a class that you've fit in with yet, but I would encourage you to stay today. Just sit and, and listen and uh, stay today. During the last couple of weeks, the leadership here has been meeting with some different focus groups, for lack of a better term, uh, to get some feedback and some input on our vision statement in two Sundays, not next Sunday, but the next Sunday, February 9th, at 6 o'clock in the evening, here at, uh, in the auditorium, the leadership wants to get your input and some feedback from you about the vision statement they keep hearing about. Uh, so on February 9th, 6 o'clock, uh, be making plans to be here. And then at the end of February, we're going to sort of announce this and, and kind of roll it out uh, for the family. Um, you know, I keep using the word vision. But I hope you understand that we're really not the ones giving the vision for the church. Jesus does that. What we're really talking about is accepting the mission that Jesus has given us as children of his. And maybe I'm splitting hairs here. But uh, our vision here at Bay Area involves just doing a better job of accepting and fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given us. And again, our mission is to make and to grow disciples. Our mission is to be disciples who make disciples. Really, our mission here at Bay Area is not to put on a good show every Sunday. Our mission isn't so you can walk in and, you know, kind of sit and check the Jesus box and then come back next week and do the same thing. Our mission is to try to be and try to help people to be and look more like Jesus. There is a uh, word that has really got popular in the last 10 years or so. I did a little research. It's a word that goes back to the 1700s. I didn't really start hearing it until just the last few years, and the word's doppelganger. It's a German word. We all know what that word means and refers to, right? Um, A non-related look-alike or the double of a living person. A lot of people talk about doppelgangers, you know, these days. Kind of fun to think about it. For instance, um, on the left there, you see the actor Jeremy Irons, A lot of people think that his doppelganger is the actor Daniel Day-Lewis. And they do kind of look alike, don't they? Sort of of similar. Or Will Ferrell, the actor and comedian. A lot of people think that his doppelganger is Chad Smith, who Bo will know is the drummer for Red Hot Chili Peppers. And they look a lot alike. Or how about um, Katy Perry on the left? looks an awful lot like Zoe Dachanel there, the actress on the right. 
or Fabio on the left. You know, the old model that was on the cover of all the trashy novels and I can't believe it's not butter commercials. A lot of people think that his doppelganger is John Hamm, the actor from uh, Mad Men. How about this one? Am I the only one who thinks that uh, Robbie John sort of looks like Jafar? <laughs> Does anyone else see that? Is it just me? Joanne, uh, have you thought that before? You do now. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 it's just, you know, a doppelganger, right? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Tim, how about you? Do you have a doppelganger? Turns out I do, and I hear it all the time. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I got to tell you, it's a curse. It is. I mean, I've always got people coming up and like, can I have your autograph? You know, can I take a selfie with you? And sometimes I just do it, but usually it's like, no, I'm not him. Really, I'm not him. It's a pain, I got to tell you. Actually, listen, my kids will tell you that I have a different doppelganger, and they tell me quite often. That's, uh, that's, that's who they really think I look like, Uncle Fester, you know, from the Adams family, which is, I guess, is a little bit more accurate, and, um, yeah, and that's why you'll never see me in a turtleneck, by the way. Listen, our mission here at Bay Area, we want to become doppelgangers of Jesus. We want to look so much like Jesus that people say, wow, you remind me of something, somebody. You know, it's, it's strange, or at least a little bit interesting to me, that the Bible says almost nothing about the way Jesus looked physically. In fact, there's only one reference at all to Jesus' physical appearance. It's way back in the Old Testament, that famous messianic uh, prophecy in Isaiah 53, where the prophet says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So the only thing we know about Jesus' appearance is there was nothing striking about Jesus' appearance. He's not the guy that turned heads but the way he looked. He didn't uh, you know, cause people to do a double take when he walked into a room because of the way he looked. He looked very normal. You know, if I were, had the chance to decide what I looked like, what body, what, you know, what look I was going to have, I'm going to tell you, I'd be taller. I'd be better looking than I am now. I'd have a great head of hair. <laughs> if I had the chance to choose... I wouldn't look like Uncle Fester. <laughs> Movies, paintings, the image that I've got on the screen all depict Jesus as this really tall, good-looking guy. You know, great head of hair, a lot of product in his hair. But Scripture says that wasn't Jesus. There was nothing that made Jesus stand out physically. The Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus looked like. So why does the Bible keep telling us to look like Jesus? And I think, obviously, you know the answer to that. We're not talking about some surgery, some plastic surgery to have done you know, so that we look like Jesus physically. We're talking about a heart surgery to be performed so that 
we look like Jesus and act like him relationally and spiritually. Two weeks ago, I talked about the, the invitation that Jesus gave to some, some people that uh, he ran into. And I talked about that grand invitation that's still available to us. Let me go back to that passage this morning. Mark chapter 1. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. There is a word in that invitation that we use, and we use it because Jesus used it. And the word is follow. I want to focus on that word follow this morning because it is a powerful, powerful word. At least it used to be a powerful word. Jesus said, follow me. And that invitation came with some implications. And it came with some expectations. You know, I'm afraid that over the years, the, the word follow, it's kind of been sucked dry of all its meaning and all of its power. I mean, we want to be followers of Jesus, and we want to make followers of Jesus, but when we consider following Jesus, I don't think that packs the same kind of punch as it did when Peter and John and Andrew and James considered following Jesus. When Jesus said, follow me, the invitation was so much more than accept me. We use the word follow today. It doesn't necessarily mean too much. I can follow you on Twitter. I can follow someone else on Instagram. We follow celebrities on social media. We don't know those people. We're never going to meet those people. And when that gets into the church, you know, it's easy for people to kind of say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. And what they really mean by that is, I admire Jesus. In fact, I buy into some of his foundational truths, you know, some of the truths about Jesus. He's the Son of God. He died on a cross. But those foundational truths don't do anything as far as changing the way I live my life. For most people, when they say, I follow Jesus, what they really mean is, I like Jesus. I don't want to be like Jesus, but I like Jesus. We need to get into the habit of using the word follow the same way Jesus used the word follow. No, Jesus never asked anyone to accept him. We've kind of come up with that concept in the last few generations. You know, just accept Jesus into your heart. Jesus never told anyone that. Jesus never asked anyone to accept him. Jesus wasn't trying to draw crowds. Jesus was trying to equip an army. He was looking for warriors. He was looking for a group of people who would storm the gates of hell. And he needed people who were going to go all in. He needed people who were going to follow him. So when Jesus said, follow me, what he's communicating is, I'm going to be in charge. You follow me, but, but I'm in charge. What he didn't mean was, 
you follow me, I want you to carve out a little bit of your time for me. I want you to at least give me an hour on Sunday. Okay? The rest of the week is yours, but, but give me an hour on Sunday. That is not what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. When he said, follow me, he's looking for people who, again, are all in. He didn't want to be a part of our lives. He said, I, I, I'm going to be your life. When Jesus calls people to follow him, we've got to understand Jesus is the leader. We've got to understand Jesus is in charge. If you're a sports fan at all, you'll recognize the guy on the left, Larry Bird, one of the greatest basketball players who ever lived. If you're a basketball fan at all, you'll recognize the guy on the right, Casey Jones. He was Larry Bird's coach for the Celtics for a long time. And Casey Jones has told a story for a lot of years about a game that he was coaching and it got down to the last few seconds and the game was really close. It was a very important game. They got the ball, the Celtics did, and, and Casey Jones called a timeout. They were down by one point and this next possession was going to either win or lose the game. And so the team huddles up and Larry Bird walks into the huddle and said, just get me the ball and everybody else get out of the way. Casey Jones turned and looked at Larry and said, Larry, I'm the coach of this team. I make the decisions. I call the plays. He picked up a, a clipboard, looked at the rest of the team and said, just get the ball to Larry. <laughs> Everybody else, get out of the way. You know, we live in a culture where people claim to follow Jesus, but they don't worry at all about what Jesus told them to do. Not worrying at all about what Jesus said about how we handle our money or how we handle our sexuality and our purity, how we deal with our anger, how we deal with bitterness. We live in a culture that says you can follow Jesus and you can completely ignore what he tells you to do. We live in a culture that says you can call yourself Christian, but Jesus doesn't have to be in charge of your life. I'll say it again, the, the, the uh, the driving force behind this renewed vision that we've been working on here is the conviction that we want to follow Jesus. We're not going to accept the concept of just accepting Jesus as okay. That's not the mission. And we don't want to change, dilute, or disregard the mission. Because when Jesus said, follow me, that was a big word. It was a powerful word. It was an important word, follow me. It was a drop what you're doing. Walk away from your nets. Leave everything else behind and follow me. It was more than just stop doing stuff. <laughs> it was a life-changing word. It was, I want you to follow me. I want you to be a doppelganger of me. I want you to look like me. I want you to act like me. Let me give you another word that we use in church all the time, and it's another word that I think has lost a lot of its meaning, and that's the word disciple. You hear it all the time. Do you know in the first century, the word disciple literally just referred to a learner? So when a rabbi came along and said, I want you to be my disciple, what he's saying is, I want you to be my learner. Now, when we think of a learner, when we think of learning, again, we sort of think of sitting in rows, listening to someone, taking notes on good information. That's not what Jesus is talking about, though. 
Again, in that day, if a rabbi said, come be my disciple, come be my learner, what he meant was, get up. Follow me. Do what I do. Say what I say. Be like me. They understood. And I know I keep saying this, but I just, I keep coming back to it. They understood. It's not just about information. Information without transformation is worthless. Most churches, most churches do information pretty well. I think we do information pretty well. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, there's got to be a transformation. There's got to be a a movement. This is about learning how to do life the way the rabbi does life and then doing life that way. They understood that following Jesus wasn't just getting some of Jesus' life into their life. It was about getting into the life of Jesus to think and to talk and to act and to love like Jesus. And sadly, most Christians' concept of Christianity doesn't really involve any of that. Sadly, most Christians' concept of being a Christian is, well, you go to church, every now and then at least. You learn some of the things that the church teaches. You stay out of scandal. Don't get yourself arrested. Pay your bills. Be a good neighbor. But the idea of a radical change to become more like Jesus never really becomes part of that equation. I heard someone just this past week, I heard someone say, one of the problems I have with Christianity is I know too many Christians. And I understand where that comment came from. But that is really a sobering comment. And it's really a a, a convicting comment. There's a really well-known verse in the book of Romans, chapter 8. We know the first part really well. Paul says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. But look at the very next verse. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. God's plan, His eternal plan, really, has been for us to be like His Son. God's plan was for Him to have lots of sons and daughters, and we all look like Jesus. And we know that's His plan because He gave us the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to do this all by ourselves. We keep talking back, we we can't do this all by ourselves. The Holy Spirit is at work in the life of a Christian. And all those things that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do fall right into line with the characteristics of the way Jesus lived his life. You know, those fruits of the Spirit that we always talk about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Doesn't that define the life of Jesus? That's what the Holy Spirit is empowering us to be, more like Jesus. 
And the Holy Spirit is very good at what he does, transforming people. But he can be quenched. He can be stifled. He can be even silenced by the commitments that we do or don't make. And I think that's why Paul wrote in Galatians 5, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, here's what we're building toward in this renewed emphasis in in 2020 and beyond. And that is following Jesus means taking intentional steps. We're going to have to get intentional about how we're going about this concept of following Jesus. Because when Jesus said, follow me, it was a big word. It was a powerful word. It was a word with a lot of meaning, a lot of implication. And nobody stumbles into that kind of life. Nobody accidentally starts following Jesus. It's got to be intentional. There's got to be some purpose behind it. It's something you devote yourself to. And so several months ago, our, our leadership got together, and we just started asking some pretty simple questions. And one of the simple questions was, what does a follower of Jesus look like? And what do they do? How do they act? How do they live their lives? What are the critical factors involved with someone who is trying to follow Jesus that we read about in the New Testament? And in the book of Acts, Luke gives us some insight into this brand new group of Christians who come together, and he answers that question to a large part. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Those first Christians, they devoted themselves to what the apostles were teaching. And they devoted themselves to being with each other. And they devoted themselves to breaking bread together. They devoted themselves to prayer. And Luke says, it was awesome. (laughs) They devoted themselves to all these things, and it was awesome. Everybody was filled with awe. That's the definition of awesome, right? Being filled with awe. It was awesome. That group, they were awesome. Wouldn't you love to be a part of a church like that? Wouldn't you love to be a part of a church who said, this, this is kind of awesome. Wouldn't you love to be a part of a church where people were devoted to the teaching and devoted to each other and devoted to getting together and devoted to prayer, devoted to Jesus? Wouldn't you love to be a part of a church where God was adding people daily who were being saved? We are a part of that church. But we've got to be devoted to Jesus, devoted to living like he lived. That's why John would write in 1 John 2, anyone who says he's a Christian should live as Christ Christ did. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, you better work at living like Christ did. And again, you don't stumble into that. It is intentional. You do not stumble into that kind of lifestyle. Now, You can stumble out of it. You can turn away. 
You can walk away. Satan is full of reasons why you should stumble out of it, why you should walk away. But personally, I don't think anyone in here would do that intentionally. I don't think you'd be here today if that was your plan. I don't think anyone here says, I plan to sort of drift away from Jesus. I'm just afraid not enough of us will say, I plan to become more and more like Jesus. You know the old saying, plan the work and then work the plan? If we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to start taking steps toward Jesus. I mean, the word follow implies movement, right? We can't stand still. We can't tread water. We can't just coast. We've got to work at being more like Jesus. We've got to be intentional about becoming a, a, a doppelganger of Jesus. I heard a story about a, a family that was taking a long road trip, and um, the dad said, hey, to, to pass time, let's play some games. So he comes up with a game. Um, let's all make animal so- sounds, and then we'll guess what animal, you know, we just uh, made the sound of. So the dad barks, and the family says dog, and the mother oinks, and they all say pig, and the older sister moves, and they all say cow, and then the little five-year-old boy says hee-haw, hee-haw, they say, donkey, yes. They go around again. It's the little five-year-old boy's turn again. He says, hee-haw, hee-haw. They say, donkey, nope. Hee-haw, hee-haw. Mule, nope. Hee-haw, hee-haw. Uh, horse, nope. Okay, we give up. I'm a mockingbird. <laughs> Pretty smart kid, right? Here's my point. We are supposed to imitate the lion. And we are supposed to look like the lamb. People should be able to look at our lives. Even if they don't like Jesus. Even if they don't care anything about Christianity. They ought to be able to look at our lives and at least say, you know what? If nothing else, that guy's trying to look like Jesus. If nothing else, those people sure are trying to be like Jesus. We've got to be serious when we say we're going to follow Jesus. So, what's the challenge this morning? What do you need to do? (laughs) Not what do you need to know. What do you need to do? And I think you all know the answer to that. I think we all know what we need to do. You know you need to be baptized. You know you need to do that. But maybe there's some pride standing in your way or some secret sin that you're not willing to give up just yet. But you know what you need to do. You already know you you ought to take advantage of being in a small group. You already know I, I need some of those kind of relationships in my life. I need somebody that really cares about me on, on, on a spiritual level, on a real level, and wants the best for me. And I need some people that I can pour my life into on that level as well. You already know that. You already know what God wants you to do about being selfish with your time, with your energy. You already know you, you ought to be helping people. You ought to be serving in a bigger way. You know that. You already know that you need to be a better steward of the things God has blessed you with, including your money. You know that God deserves more than whatever the smallest bill I might have in my pocket is when the plate goes around. I read the Bible. 
I think 10% is the place I ought to start, but you know that. You already know that you need to start living like you're learning. You already know that you need to start doing what you're saying. You need to devote yourselves to following Jesus. You already know that. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Satan says, not now, (laughs) not yet, not completely. The Holy Spirit says, come. I will empower you. I will help you. The only question is, what do you say? Are you taking steps toward following Jesus? Are you making plans to become more and more like Jesus? Are you doing what it takes to become a doppelganger of Jesus? For people to say, you know what, I'll give you this. You're working hard to look like Jesus. People will notice that and Jesus will be glorified. If we can help you this morning with anything that's going on in your life, something we can pray with you or for you about, meet us at the front of the auditorium. Let's stand and sing.